We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. Let no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. They all... We're back today with the second half of our live stream, A Moat in the Mad King's Eye. And yes, that is a nod to both the Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell work, as well as the parable from which they derived. When we left the last time, it was on the note that a vizier, and perhaps wizard, gave to the king his most mad designs. And from there did the world break, for others to write. Though, of course, and as always... Things oft go awry. So join us today as we bring this little what-if-unto-why exercise to a close and discover what this brave new world holds when even its villains outgrow their old life. We hope you enjoy. So there's a Jafar, right? We know there's a Jafar. He's got a funny hat and a snake staff. I mean, he might have a funny hat or a snake staff. He might have anything. You know, he might go around with ram horns on. It doesn't really matter. It's some kind of evil wizard type figure who is like, yeah, no, this will totally work, man. That's true. We had calendar magic and we had no evil wizards. Well, I mean, I, I, my original idea <laughs> would be was that not just that they summoned something, but that they summoned some entity. No, uh, it's, but that, it's we, not that an clearly wasn't going to happen. So if they operate on calendar magic, it's an evil bureaucrat. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no problem, King Banana. This is this is totally going to work out. It's going to be fine. I've aligned all. This the is what we got to do. I need you to build me a monolith over here. I need an obelisk over there. I need uh, some megaliths over here. I'm going to need a big pyramid up there. Your palace is going to have to move. I'm going to have to go ahead and dig a giant pit there. Don't worry about it. I got this. Oh, oh, geez, everything's ruined. Your whole empire's in flames, and uh, your son's dead. Whoops, my bad. That was, I think, uh, in Full Metal Alchemist, the twist in the Brotherhood version where. The old empire of Xerxes is destroyed because the emperor wants immortality, except he doesn't pay attention to where the actual destination of all life goes that he's sacrificing. So, the, so I mean, we don't have to ask the obvious, this is a fantasy game question. Is this guy still around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Lucky Lulu said, if they're an evil wizard, you need, evil wizard need to go all up. Funny hat, ram horn, snake staff, basic prerequisites. I do think immortality or some version of it, they became a thing that they weren't before. Okay, so with that, the lead-in, this is something I took out of the document because, again, I didn't want to bias what people were thinking of. But the original name for the lost era that follows this one was the Hyborian era. And that just sounds so... <laughs> Go on. So, yeah. Should I be contacting the Howard estate? <laughs> you put enough the reasons I took it out. You put enough monkeys in a podcast together, eventually they make content. <laughs> so okay so this Great. guy who i'm going to start calling the ram wizard okay the ram wizard ends up in charge of whatever is left of the farm civilization because i like the idea of him having a hat with ram horns it's really he, stupid he already, but it's it's like him. pro his evil is, wizard gear so why, why don't we go take him a bit a step further and uh, use an actual beast of burden uh a bull wizard 
Give him bull horns. Oh, he could be the bull wizard. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I, I don't really care what he what he uh, is based on. We need like he's the Ovinomancer. Come on, we need to be dealing from you know the evil wizard Aerolotus drew this guy type of deck here. Clearly, well, he's definitely a blue green mix here. <laughs> Probably a little black to splash. A little, definitely oh, a little black. A little yeah. before the ritual, a whole lot after. I mean, I, I feel like this guy is probably not into zombies. I think he's just like very not worried about the consequences for people other than himself. He was a deeply curious person, and I think probably the bull wizard is basically the villain of the lost era. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, he's got all the prerequisites to be the devil of that time, as it were. And I think probably the twist is if and when he's found later on, he's so far past that initial motive because he's had so much time to do that and any other thing he wanted. I I threw this out way back, I think, during Five E. But if players ever did find a lich in my game, they or something that immortal, they'd be so bored. Have, having spent time doing everything you want, they would want to die, except they'd have forgotten how. Hold on. So the great secret of the Lost Era is it's dominated by a lich, and it will be ended by some epic fight with heroes, and that's how history will remember it, but they, all the heroes really did was find the secret of how to free the lich at the lich's behest. They had a pleasant conversation, tea was served, it's beautiful. We've got an inversion of Koshi the Deathless here. I mean, he probably s- sat behind his desk, you know, with his fingers steepled, talking to the heroes, like, you know, your average quest giver does. Like, okay, so I'm going to need you to go to this tower and get me the lost home of Macbeth, and then uh, I'm going to need a spear of... Yeah, great. Now, you got all that stuff? Fine. Kill me. <laughs> That'd be the best part. He'd be that random wizard who recruits them yeah. way on early in a tower somewhere. Kill 10 orcs. I'm sick of this shit. This did not go how I planned. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, you have no experience with that, do you? (laughs) And these heroes have a different story. They they bonded with them. So these heroes and maybe even their descendants uh, rankle at the story of how they slaughtered this horrific evil man. No, actually, he was a pretty cool guy, but, you know, nobody knows that. (laughs) Right. And half of of them... Uh, love like, and half the heroes are like, oh, you know, we're talking it up, like, oh yeah, we totally did this, we saved you, rah rah, give us tribute, and the other half are like, dude, he wasn't that bad. He was just not now. <laughs> maybe he didn't even plan on destroying the world. Maybe, maybe things got out of hand, and he just happened to be the guy who stuck around. We don't know. Only he, he was didn't. just trying to. He was just trying to kill the golems, wasn't he? Oh, I think especially early on in the Lost Era, he should revel in the fact that he has a lot of power. It's just it got boring over the several hundred years that this era lasted. Well, maybe he's also very disappointed that, you know, everybody's dead. That would be disappointing. Yeah, like it, because we, we it, it's it'd be funny if the story was that this guy was this ultimate evil who had no care for anyone. Yeah, he he started out fairly callous, but it's not like he didn't like people in general. He wanted worship and worshippers and tribute and all the other things wizards and towers like. But they're all gone and zombies are in a... Yeah, I, I, I see Mike adding a really good note here. It, there should be a secret group of monks who know the truth. Yeah. Oh, no. Keep them on scrolls. Wait, do they have brown robes and lightsabers? Uh, well, they probably have robes. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely have robes. <laughs> do they talk cryptically and give bad advice that gets them killed? Uh, probably the first one. They might give bad <laughs> advice that leads to more world breaking because they're just, you know, they think they know what they're talking about. <laughs> but all they do is make councils. <laughs> they only make councils that fuck things up even more. And they've become so jaded by how uh, they, they've they seen the, the good intentions turn so wrong. So, I mean, so we're calling this the these, I mean, no, these guys are basically the Yazidi. 
you realize this is like essentially the same story that those guys tell. The, the Yazidi yes. are a religious sect from Iran, for anybody who doesn't know, who are kind of an offshoot of the Muslim tradition, who think that uh, basically the devil is very clearly ascendant in the world and in charge, so they should stay on his good side. There, I'm blanking on, on the society now. I think it's not an offshoot of the theosophical. But, oh, but the it's a fact, if you translate their name, they're basically the Society of Lightbringers, as in Lucifer. But all about knowledge and science and spreading wisdom through right. the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty common idea in yeah. uh, the entire Abrahamic Gnostic tradition, right? Okay, the sure. devil's in charge, so we should probably maybe pay some attention to what he's talking about. So I think we're playing it literally here where they know the devil's in charge. It's just not who you think it is. Well, well it's, <laughs> if he's not in charge, this era does end with him being taken out of power as he was. That doesn't mean he's not still around, but it does mean that he has changed in, in a major I way. Mean, that dude is infinite cosmic power in an itty bitty living space. If we are going with the idea that they did it at his behest, his entire outlook may have changed and he may not be particularly evil anymore. He may actually be someone, someone that future generations can call upon when they really need it. Uh, they reduce him to a homunculus. Some no, no, no. <laughs> in the Dungeons and Dragons context, it's very obvious that this guy is now a warlock patron. Oh, God. He goes into the stars. He does. That that makes makes sense. Well, that would make a lot of sense. And again, yeah. he has his own agenda, but it's not necessarily an evil one because like everything this guy does, it serves him, but it's not for the purposes of like destruction. It's not for the purposes of a lot of things. But this guy is now playing a game with rules that really only he understands. And imagine his frustration and disappointment. He spent years coaching these heroes to finally be able to destroy him. And they were bumbling idiots at first, but he got them to where they could kill him, and now he's not dead. I'm still, every time they call him, upon him, oh, great lord of the bullhorns. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> oh, come on, y'all. Can you not handle this yourselves? Just let go already. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Just the, the crotchetiest old man as possible. You understand that when I was around, we didn't even know how to forge iron. How can you not solve this problem yourselves? <laughs> I love this. I also love that it goes along with the fact that he, what he was is he was given his freedom largely. So he's, he's kind of irritated to be called back. <laughs> Definitely. This is uh, the bull wizard. How can I help you? We've got a lot about what happens after the Lost Era and with this warlock patron. And I think it's it's fantastic. What happens during it? It's, it's a enduring struggle to survive. Well, it's I mean, probably obviously. that, and also I would guess that civilization reemerges in places that were advantaged by the breaking of the world, because, you know, I mean, we say things like broke the world or ruined everything, but some places come out ahead if you have a drastic climate shift. Well, the mountains wouldn't change too much, would they? What if they're no longer as cold? Or paths open up that weren't before. They can get so, places they couldn't. So how did the world break? Did it go cold or did it go scorching? Which direction did we go? I mean, it doesn't really, even if it does one, right? Like during the Ice Age, there were parts of this planet that were still doing fine. Oh, yeah. One's not covered in ice, right? But a lot of them are now kind of trashed. Honestly, touch the hobs much as a people. The Sahara, from what I remember, was actually like much nicer 12,000 years ago. Well, yeah, but the the Himalayas were a part of the uh, creation of that. So it was on its way. Right. But, you know, what I'm saying is there's probably somewhere where everything is habitable and actually even going well during the Lost Era, probably multiple somewheres even. Well, it sounds like the Hobbs would benefit the most then. Yeah, well, we've only talked about two cars. The biggest question with that is, 
the the Hobbs were largely nomads. That mm-hmm. they, over the course of the the first era, they were probably being incorporated more and more into the agrarian societies, but they were originally nomads. So either they've adapted really well, in which case they're doing well along with other people, or there's if for them to be doing well, there also has to be large you know, areas where nomadicism is still possible or they've adapted to the ocean. I think they have to give up being nomads because of climate change, we'll call it. And since they have some idea what cities look like due to their interaction with the farm civilization, they recreate it along somewhat different lines that suit them better. Mobile cities of a kind, as it were, or something. It might not even be mobile cities. I mean, bear in mind that the Silk Road largely ran through Mongol territory and through cities. There. Right. So what you have are major hubs, cities, and then a number of... And then just, things. you know, trackless planes and things where most people or most hobs are still wandering around, but there are probably actual cities and very large ones somewhere. So what they would do is accommodate... You'd probably still have some remnant of the calendar magic where there would be times of the year where everyone goes to the city. All the trade convenes, all the oh, yeah. rituals. Absolutely. That, that's that's a documented, you know, that was the system. So those would be the... Monu- and I remember... Talking with my students about this, the people who run that city are the ones who get the power, who get their religion, the faith, etc., who get to say and officiate. Right, and there's a pretty good chance that those are Humes, since the Humes were the people who were backing the farm civilization, at least initially. So you have kind of an interesting detente here, where perhaps the nomadic folk are more hob, but have access to things that don't come into the city with, without that effort or that. Research. Or they eventually conquer the cities and run the Humes out. <laughs> Details, details. Which, you know, seems pretty <laughs> realistic, given the history of basically everybody from southern Russia and Mongolia interacting right, and with basically everybody the, else. The humans go into the ancient ruins and beseech the bull wizard for power and salvation. Right, which doesn't really go according to anybody's plan <laughs> in all likelihood. No, what he explains to them is that the whole reason they're suffering is that they have to become heroic, so they have to push, be pushed to the edge first. I think it's more, <laughs> come on, people, get your stuff together. <laughs> He is the worst life coach. I don't think the bull wizard can start out as this really meta fiction, you know, meta aware character who's who's speaking in terms of stories and trying to create this story of how he was defeated. Like, especially early on, he is reveling, coming to terms. Oh, yeah, no, he's probably just a regular evil wizard or even a not very evil wizard who does happen to be you know, sitting on top of a giant pile of, say, treasure from a lost civilization. Which oppressed people who have no other recourse might go find themselves near or adjacent to for power. Right. Or, you know, somebody's going to try to steal and he's going to get mad and burn down a village. or And thus draw himself into the conflict now again. So it sounds like he doesn't start out with any kind of empire, but he's going to end up with one. And it's not and it's it's less that he wants an empire and more that it happens to fit like what other people want. An empire happens to fit in very well with his plans, or at least doesn't interfere with his plans. Sounds like he becomes the mandate, or leads to it, or the stories of him lead into that. Oh, or the stories of him being taken out down lead into, the, the, into yeah. that. The mandate, um, the I, the biggest idea I had for it is that it's a, a mix between her, uh, between honor and integrity and and a lot of nobility and personal heroism and personal aggrandizement and right so a rebelling people who overthrow their oppressor and forge an empire based upon that have no interest in hero worship or self-worship yeah no it's it's it's, yeah we've never seen precedent of that i think there's some sarcasm in here no (laughs) 
All right. But so apart from that, right, we still got somewhere, Fen, right? And we still got not really accounted for as of yet talls. I wonder if in the changes that occur, there are places the tall could go to they couldn't have gone to. Because we've only spoken about largely as one, well, two continents, as it were. Well, the rough idea for the tall, the one, the two that I know, if if there are, is that the tall are going to end up becoming orcs and dwarves. So one of the places that it would make a lot of sense for that to start happening now, I mean, it would be the underground. Things that were moved about, shaken, bored into. Or maybe they just started digging because it was safer than being on the surface. And yeah. didn't deal with any of that BS. So it may be that then, they were present during the ancient era, as it were. Mm-hmm. But not doing anything that would be reckoned by historians is terribly important. Humes, however, seeking to escape into their homes and burrows underneath, though. I mean, even even with or without humes, right? Maybe the changing situation puts the tall on a more even footing with everybody else. Right. They've been left alone to harvest and grow and unionize. Well, like, you know, the history of Northern Europe is basically a history of civilization happening because forests got cut down. By the way, if the tall end up being instrumental to the the fall of the bull wizard, then you have at least three eras where the tall um, or, or later orcs become known as the, the the natural heroes of the realm to go out and slay dragons, which I find <laughs> amazing and a really fun consequence. I think that becomes part of their own mythos. And by the way, we're talking mushroom forest for this one, right? If you like. Well, they're underground. I mean, I was talking about the real world. Like, you had to cut down basically the entirety of the forest that coated most of Germany before you could have a Germany. Right. Logistically well, speaking. If we're going to place them in massive underground sea caves and caverns and the like, we'd have an analog for that. There. Yeah, there, there are a number of reasons why maybe they weren't doing anything particularly impressive. It, it's it's very possible. I think probably the overthrow of the bull wizard is what you might call an interdisciplinary effort. <laughs> okay, fine. I- I like Dave's idea that the uh, the tall, most specifically the orcs, end up being the heroes here, turning things around. And that this entire time that everybody else has uh, been fighting and dealing with the consequences here, aside from when they were called to come forward and you know push people back, they've actually been fighting with the dwarves who have been just trying to make their underground cities classic dwarves. And the orcs want in they're the um grasshopper that doesn't actually want to do the work uh, oh this is a grasshopper and ant parable okay i like that actually (laughs) yeah yeah the dwarves like did things like go down south and see what was going on and then come back to the mountains and be like okay so this is what we're gonna do and the orcs were like okay so you have a lot of stuff we're gonna take it (laughs) and we like how safe your mountain holes are it can also be too that they, they kept some of their more nomadic tendencies underground. There's plenty of places to roam and hunt there too. So there might have been a combination of it might have been more of a raider trader to civilization relationship. They do sure. need each other. They just don't like each other all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think there's necessarily inherent and constant conflict there, but I think the general divergence is between we're going to make our own stuff and we're going to take somebody else's stuff. And so which we need more at the time. And which dwarf and steady state we've made a pact with and which one we haven't. Or which one has paid us to not make a pact with that one. Or else kind because, of gives rise to the orcs as easily bought mercenaries. Right. They might have plenty of principles. It's just that those principles are centered upon what they need to survive. Which would imply they'll be remembered as heroes of this age, because by the end, they were hired into being heroes of this age. And the fact that it was hired kind of gets lost. But that might also be the point that turns orcs into a very 
heroic, very, you know, go out there and fight evil society because that's what they grew up on. Never mind that it was they were actually just mercenaries. Which I think leads us to in the golden age, the idea of the adventurer. The it might. It might. I think Tumblr wants me to remind you guys that the idea of a warrior race is an inherently flawed one, though. Oh, I'm not thinking of orcs as a warrior <laughs> race. I'm thinking of I, I'm thinking that orcish mercenaries, of which there would be quite a number, get put down in history as heroes, and that inspires orcs to like of future generations to dream of going out there and slaying dragons, much the way we we had uh, you know going out uh, going out there fighting, making the mark on the world. I just want to put this into your heads now. This is based off of what Nox Noctora said on the Discord. If they're based in the mountains and have access to heavier metals that form near hotter underground areas, that would also add to the durability and strength. However, my mind also went to underground hot springs. In other words, you have Dwarf and orc onsens. <laughs> why? Why did you do that? Why? You are welcome because it's a place where they can meet peaceably and trade while their underlings are fighting outside. So these yeah. onsens actually become kind of sacred, neutral ground. Yeah, you were talking about dwarf yakuza versus. I mean, if you want to, you know, take it in a more Scandinavian context, which I think yes. initially is where they started. Uh, they have saunas. Yes, saunas would work equally. It's the same premise, but again, a safe, peaceful meeting ground where. Things can be discussed, and they can have a moot, as it were, to settle differences and go back to surviving. I don't know if that's at all what they were intending us to go down. But okay. So meanwhile, what's happening in what's left of the islands? Are they just no. gone? No. Well, because if they are gone, right, the Fen aren't. So where do they go? With rising waters, I think we said, right? Mm-hmm. They would be flooded out of most of their homes. However, they'd still have the means to be adrift on the ocean. Maybe they turn fully nomadic. Or they invade somewhere. That's true, too. Also, keep in mind that not all the Fen would have been a part of that empire. If they were in forests, they would have been in forests around the world, which means there are Fen that are unrelated to that. Right. It It may be that there is one particular group of Fen or, you know, some particular groups of Fen who were the ones who found golems, and there are others who didn't. But at some point, they're still going to have to move, whether they were on the side of the angels or not. I think they do turn into various roving populations, either into the most remote areas of the world physically, like old volcanoes and the like, and deep primordial forest, or they become sailing flotillas or air. Or, I mean, or, as, uh, as, as much as you know, you're leaning toward a nonviolent situation here, these are people so, who are used to being in the Ascendant. They're going to invade is, something. <laughs> yeah, this is my thought. If once they're mobile enough, they're going somewhere where there's stuff. It's you probably have the folks that do retreat and become more religious or non-violent in the sense that they don't want to deal with the world around them. And maybe they do dig back into the ancient technology and build from there. But yeah, if we're talking naval flotillas, air fl- uh, well, I think if you want, yeah, I think if you want your full-on elves, they're the ones yeah. who don't build a flotilla and invade everybody. Yeah, I was I was going to say that uh, what if they entrench? They've lost their homes because of flooding, turning into swamps. They don't really like that. They've had these golems that came from the sea, but do the most use for them on land. They don't want to go back into the sea or onto the sea, so they become entrenched in uh, a land-bound existence. I see an extinct volcano or some other large, massive structure. I think they go hang out in some primeval woods and like go straight toward elf territory, to be honest. But then the other fen are definitely going to get on boats and go try to conquer some new land. And they become a problem because they've been left alone for so long. There are probably a lot of them. Yes. (laughs) And they had no bull wizard to contend with. (laughs) 
or shenanigans and fallout. Weirdly, they would have been the furthest away from the immediate fallout or the the fallout after the pyramid scheme. I, I feel Literal. like they would probably have had an immediate awareness that something was wrong when all the golems died. Yeah. And probably somebody was like, okay, fine. Somebody killed our golems. Let's get them. And that's the initial impetus for whatever they end up invading. So there's a whole revenge, which could turn the Fen into the principle-driven society. Well, the, the have... Fen thought these golems were gods, didn't they? Yeah, you killed our gods. You, you killed, killed our, our gods. gods. Let's do this. <laughs> so, maybe our gods will come back if we shed enough of your blood. We've turned the elves into the orcs. I don't know if they necessarily <laughs> are trying to get the gods to come back by killing people. I think they're killing people because they murdered their gods. They're hoping the gods the will come god. back. Blood for the blood god. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even necessarily think that's what's going on here. I think this is just like strictly a revenge thing. I think it starts that way and forges into something longer and angrier and hotter. I think yeah. that's reasonable. If they're doing something, I think they might discover some sort of magic by accident. Uh, I even think there's probably was... a lot of ways you can go from the initial, we're going to invade somewhere, and probably all of the suggestions we've had now are viable, and all of them will happen, right? Well, even if it starts off in that cool rationalization of, you kill our gods, now we're going to kill you, people are going to start questioning if that's really a good uh, basis for killing other people. So you start heap, start heaping mysticism on it. Yes, it's still a good idea because uh, the more there's people the we kill... There, there, well, they don't even need to be the evil empire. Wrong. You can have the Crusades, say, sure. not a particularly think, hypothetical example. No, I do, <laughs> I do think we're leaning to that direction where it does become... There is a, there is a faith, and it doesn't have to be a religious faith in that sense. There's just a guiding principle that they take to the hilt, right? They, right, and there may be a couple other directions that they go apart from running away into the woods, too. But I think you're right. The main mass of them, one way or another, end up bent on revenge and trying to conquer new territory. Which sounds elven. Our world is over, but we're going to make you suffer for it. <laughs> it's certainly a type of elven. It's, it's a very <laughs> properly apocalyptic sort of elf. And I'll say that I, I keep going to the... Um, they're trying to bring their gods back or they're hoping to bring the gods back because I think it leads in well into in whatever age the games in this setting are set. It creates an interesting dynamic to these Fen. They still have this belief that they can bring their gods back. That's what I would want to see in, you know, the setting as I'd be playing it. There would probably be a sense of lineage and ancestor worship that ties out of that. The families that did adhere most to the gods or could prove their I history. Think, I think you're looking, and I, I really want to go back to the Crusades here. I think you're looking at a structure that ends up being very similar to the Catholic Church, but a lot more militant than it is now. But what if you what if you added actual magic to the Crusades? Uh, then they get really, really bad. What which... do you mean added? <laughs> they already were, so they get worse. Yeah. The Crusades are like genuinely one of the blackest periods of, of human history. They're just bad. There was sure, nothing good I'm, going on. I'm talking more about the... To answer your question, this is where we get demons. Because whatever... They're still elves as best they consider themselves, but what they seem like to everyone else... Mm-hmm. No, I think I think the elves are the ones who went off to the forest and did not try to bring back the gods. Right. I don't know what these other fen are, but you I gave them horns, so I think the D and D map is tieflings. That's true. The D and D map would be yeah. tieflings. Could even make the Mazamar and tieflings because whatever they consider divine or demonic is two sides of the same thing. They serve the powers. And so that that gives us a, a question to ask. By the way, the only religion we have posited is based in something like empirical fact here. <laughs> there were golems at, at one point. Yeah. Are there other religions? What are they? 
Well, very likely there are. I hadn't gotten, I hadn't really thought out that far. There definitely should be temples, and this is a time period where there should be a lot of them. We well, we've know, got the bull wizard. He's going to have some fans. Yeah, there are warlocks, so there is deification. Of- I feel like the bull wizard is going to be very clear with people that he is not a god. People won't care. <laughs> I, I feel like he's the sort of guy who will make it really clear. I mean, I, I'm looking at Krom from your your Hyborian age there. Hey, same thing. He he he's not want anything to do with all those people, but he is still worshipped. Yeah. Will, okay. So maybe he so, has a church. Uh, yeah. What you'll have is something that is that leads from probably local spirit or deity or or people worship to sainthood to patron level. Where yeah, if you dedicate yourself well enough to the power that be here, you can be granted some minor strengths and capacities. What else? I think so. I'm still looking for more variety here because this is actually a very narrow and. Yeah, I think we have to go back to the. There's something. There's something that goes down between the Hobbs and the Orcs that makes them find a middle ground, right? There's so I was joking before about the Saunas and the Onsen, but I think that is simply a surface level of things that matter to them more in a well, not okay, just physical, so spiritual level. Not that hypothetically. We had golems in the ocean. Sure. Why aren't there golems underground? No, I'm just wondering, are you talking same golems or just golems-like, in a sense, that a thing like that was also here? Uh, it could be either. I, I, fe- I feel like the dwarves are going to need some additional drive, let's say, to keep hanging out underground. Hanging out underground is really inconvenient, y'all. Unless you can see well and breathe well and have all the stuff you need down there, yeah. Well, no, because Knox made a good point a while ago of, like, you need, you know, sky vents and karst-type situations to actually be able to grow anything in a even pseudo-underground situation. I think the dwarves have some type of either animistic or agrarian base. There's there's a there's a thing they coexist with it down there that makes this life more not exactly sandworms and doom, you know, but that makes this life more tenable. So maybe it didn't start off as a any type of respect or worship other than just partial domestication or coexistence with things that live down there. Well, now I'm thinking of Discworld, right? Sure. And the idea that the dark can be personified. Mm-hmm. One of the things I would think of if if you really start seeing a rise of a lot of religions around this age is that they're not thought of as gods. People don't really have a term like that. They're just entities that people happen to be running into of extreme power and that will trade for you know it or demand worship or just help out if they're asked. And they're very individualistic. They're not all the same thing yet or they're not all thought of as the same thing yet and it'll be a long time before people realize that you know this entity is you know of a similar type to this entity if they even are dwelling so long in the dark gives you a sense that there is a unity at the end of things and the beginning of them as well everything begins and ends in the dark when you're underground even if you can light a candle or bring air down fundamentally everything returns to this state and I don't think even animistic is the right word here, or monotheistic. They're, they might have something closer approaching to your, like your Buddhist monks or your nihilist of pure thought, where the dwarves go off at the end to return to from whence they came. There's a pilgrimage there. Well, it doesn't really jive with void. Dave's fundamentally transactional theory of religion just a minute ago, but I like oh, it. It wasn't transactional. It was what one of them might do. The other might just you know, help out or want to have nothing to do with them or something like that. But basically people start finding or running across these entities 
that were chilling, doing their own thing. And they start getting involved for one reason or another because they are, they each have their own personality. So why didn't anybody notice them before? They may have. There may have been um, a bare handful of them noticed in the first age, but they weren't really, the ones that were, weren't really playing a big enough role to swing the tide. I'm going to throw this, this is uh, from Dragon Age, this is a thing they revealed later, but I think it'll let us play with similar ideas, right? There is the source of magic that's an aura called lyrium that runs throughout the world. You eventually find pieces of it that have been poisoned or corrupted by, we're not exactly sure what, but it has. There are things called titans. No one's ever seen them. Eventually, you find one that is corrupted at the end of the last game in some DLC. It is part of the structure of the Earth itself that has a heart and a body. And as best you can tell, the things you're mining are its veins, right? Mm. And dwarves have been exposed to this since time immemorial, so they are changed in ways nothing else has. So on the one hand, yeah, I don't think we need anything like that per se, but I can see a monastery of dwarves dedicating themselves to the edifice of a cavern or some opening in the to the depths below that they spend ages upon ages staring into until one day something responds. It's been there the whole time, but either it thinks in such slow ways or it takes so much time or they didn't know how to communicate until finally some dwarf sat down there and waited oh, wait. you know as what? long as this thing would wait. You know what? I know why the gods become prominent now. They're offended by the world having been broken. So they're part of the entire impetus for the bull wizard's overthrow. So they speak through all their secret ways to the dwarves in the crevices, to... Whoever's listening and however it is they talk, they're like, yo, this dude has got to go. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody gets pushed to a crusade against the bull wizard. Okay, that that implies something really fun, which (laughs) is that they don't all discover at once. They're off doing their own thing and have been for a while. So a couple of the more opportunistic ones realize, oh, wait, this has happened. You know, and some of them go back to tell the others and some of them decide to play around on Earth. So the first round of them are pretty opportunistic, you know, and small scale. But then more and more of them start coming back with ideologies. Things they were inspired. They were lit within them that they can't quite describe the source of. So it's not that they didn't exist. It's that they got really motivated. The gods finally got annoyed enough to do something again. They probably set this whole thing on like a clockwork motion. Here's the existence. Here's the world. Let's go off and do our thing, whatever that thing be, or take a nap even. And then they come back and go, what the hell, guys? Which is amusingly what the bull wizard is feeling. Right. I mean, it's it's the flood myth, but yeah. with Noah being the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might even live in an ark. Actually, let's be honest. He lives in the ruins of the pyramid. I mean, dude, if there was a flying pyramid, he's still in the flying pyramid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, honestly... If he wasn't before when the gods send their minions after them, he's going to go to the Flying Pyramid for the last fight. I mean, forget the last fight, because it's harder to mess with him there. In his mind, it wouldn't be the last fight, but yes. It does feel like the gods, however they go, so the dwarf sitting in the the monastery down below, finally hearing that pulse in the dark for the first time. The elves help, or the non-elves help the the tiefling and Azmar like flying through the skies, hearing the whispers in the wind one day that guide them a certain way. Right. And then... We resolve this with our the heroes having been coached by the bull wizard scheme because he's like, I gotta get ahead of this thing. <laughs> Y'all kill me first. <laughs> Giant middle finger of the gods, this is final. And then he undergoes an apotheosis at the end. <laughs> and becomes so, not quite a god, but So are these gods entities or are they manifestations of the elements? 
Probably both because you can have a variety. But actually, one thing occurs to me. If the previous era was all about these creatures attacking from the ocean following their gods and that was the and and if that really was the only gods that that era was exposed to then the survivors to the extent that they have stories of that are going to shit a brick when the gods start coming back and people start and some people start worshiping them they're not going to trust them because we're like oh great we got more of these guys Uh, any minute now some kind of 12 foot tall monster with laser eyes is going to (laughs) come marching out of the woods because i didn't hand my kid over to dave to baptize oh great i want to bring this up to nox was raising the idea that maybe the golems themselves no longer exist but the idea of animation the powers of how to do that are either found or turned back to these heroes as they arise. So the dwarves start to discover ways to automate things. The heroes find other relics and like so yes, they no, build you know what? I think the actual elves, the guys who were like, you know what, we don't really need to go murder everybody on a vengeance spree, are the ones yep. who figure out how to animate things again. They go get busy on that instead. But because the gods are whispering to them in that way too. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna need some new gods. Let's go make new gods. And that's how they <laughs> That's how the elves uh, become divergent, as it were, from the main line of Fen. It's also potentially, if you want to have uh, elves be long lived in this world, one of the things that their early experiments do to them, that transfer of power. Oh, cyborgs. Actually, that would be kind of interesting if uh, if the elves of this world all have in their in the you know they're they're always described as very being very pristine and statuesque and all of that. If they actually were kind of partly stone or inanimate or something like that. Worship the gods that deeply. Would you not replace yourself or parts of yourself with the substance of them and try to survive as a fanatic, or as a that deeply devoted, dedicated one? You start even if they dig down into the ruins and discover other pieces of this automation as proof of your worship, of your willingness to sacrifice to bring the gods back. Make yourself a vessel for them even, right? Yeah, I'm not even sure it's necessarily about particular reverence here. I think they want the power for themselves. Sure. So you have the elder who wants to remain the elder, who eventually replaces themselves with more and more automated pieces. Right. Let's let's make some new gods uh, out of ourselves, because that'll probably work out better. Okay, now we've defined. Now we've fi- now we finally arrived at elf. Hold on, I think there should be another group of them also because this would tie into something that works on not changing themselves, but on creating replacements that they control, and that would be another split. Sure, these are ones that are a little more on the side of messing with things and seeing how things work. They're not going to go all the way, but yeah, this would be the 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 one the difference between elves and gnomes. These are ciphers. They're the ones that do organic or pseudo organic magic. That too, but they're not. They're not. Not. It's not that they're refraining from messing with golem magic. It's just that they're not incorporating it into themselves. Right, and they become tall, smaller, and have pointy ears and big hats, so they can hide from the other elves stepping on them. I was never going to take it that far. <laughs> I, I would also, by the way, explicitly in my original notes, <laughs> gnomes, to the extent that they exist, just tend to be slightly more, like more, like slightly gnomish versions of regular fen. They're not, they're not like tiny little, you know, <laughs> kind of things. More like boggles, boggarts, and they don't, at the age of four hundred, turn into trees and end their series. Right. Well, that was just disappointing. <laughs> So. I know. It's so dark. Yeah. So I think that I actually is a fairly coherent narrative for the Lost Era. You have the gods re-emerging, civilization shifting in geographical location and who's in the Ascendant a bit, and 
several different paths, as it were, of fantasy technology being explored. Sounds like a world to me. Right. Ultimately, the end of it is when the bull wizard contrives to get himself killed so that the gods can't take revenge on him, even though that's not the story that everybody else hears. Right, and the twist is how they force him to survive somehow, or it goes awry. I mean, this is a guy who... I feel like the bull wizard is the sort of scientist who does experiments to see what happens. Yeah. Only he's a wizard. I think he's just, like, not the kind of guy who is 100% certain what result he's going to get when he pulls the trigger. Probably he's being what I was. I know that much. Well, this and... should work. I'm not exactly sure how. <laughs> and I it's feel like it's in that same in... spirit that he advised them to destroy the world during the ancient era. This right. can only end in success? Not even that. Like, he's, he's, he's very clear that, okay, this will definitely kill the gods. And he's just not that worried about what else happens. Yeah, I can see at that point in time, there's full of enough hubris. and, under, and This is going to work. Do it. Yeah. Oh, and again, shit. And I think it's one half hubris and the other half not caring. Grows out of the apathy over time, I suppose, or not quite out of it, but has to evolve. Past I mean, he's it. just not a good guy. No, I, no. Th- I think he embraces it is, is what it is. It, I think he embraces it in, in the thing, uh, in the element of it. it's not that uh, oh, I don't I can't be bothered. It's like the freedom of not giving a crap. You know, this is funny. My friend Nick, who's a neuroscientist and I, we talked a while back about what would happen to the human mind if it was allowed to survive that long. And the long short of it was nothing great. <laughs> yeah. What if we just do it? <laughs> because you, the more you separate yourself from the consequences and the fallout of your actions. Also, I think that by however long it takes him to locate and recruit heroes, build an empire, and every other thing that we're expecting him to need to do to do it, he's getting kind of impatient. And probably pushes things a little too quickly. And at that point, the novelty of not knowing what's going to happen might be really seductive. Maybe I'll die. Maybe something even better will happen. I mean, I I might die. Either way, it'll be an experience. (laughs) It'll be new. It'll be something new. We're going to pull the trigger (laughs) on this thing. Not to mention X again. Oh, my goodness. On that note, actually, it it is about time to wrap up. We've got two arrows very well fleshed out. I think this has been an outstanding success. I've enjoyed it. It's been very fun. I ain't complaining. Uh, I uh, I look forward to doing another one of these. We're I think we're going to play with the idea of the crashed alien ship or something else like in the next month or so, and see where that leads us. Although, if you guys have other specific things that you want to play with or feel inspired by, the whole work of this series is going to be take a premise, either large or small, and see where it goes to demonstrate how you can do these things in your games and your stories. I I don't know, for instance, how you would take empire building into your daily work life and branding perhaps, but in the going from small and specific to large and complex, there's a way to look at it that way. Not everything has to be for everyone, but in this case, yes, if you wanted an empire that provides you with ruins, we've certainly given you plenty tonight (laughs) for ruination, that is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my. Any last thoughts before we finish up? None, not at all. I I thank you guys for inviting me. I think we got a very good uh, building grounds for whatever comes next, and the stories can naturally flow out of this. So that's all for tonight. If you enjoyed this episode or want to leave your thoughts on what, for another world-building one, we should try, you can now record a message at anchor.fm slash hearmetigers. That's with a Y. See you all next time.
A good story can excite us, yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.